Hey, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. It's been a while. I know. Basically, um, we're doing this because we've been harassed online to get back on the air. <laughs> well, a, a bit of background. Uh, I, I don't have a day job, so I can record whenever. Yeah. And I propose, can we do it during the week? Because in the weekend, I want to do stuff with Christina. And because you're in a different time zone, it's also, we don't do it as late as we used to. So it's kind of, it's a Saturday, it's 11 a.m. And For you, yeah. For me, it's 9 a.m. on yeah. a Saturday. But so we tried to do the weekday, but then you had to fly to Vancouver all the time? Yeah, like, this is the, the reality of my And, and then I had to go life, to Japan, yeah. and so that's why it's been a while. Yeah, so we, yeah, we just couldn't figure out how to fit it into the week. It's kind of my fault because you're like, show, tell me a day, and I was like, I literally had no day where it, I could fit it into this. Like, it really had to fit into a time slot well, between five and seven p.m. You, you used yeah. to have the Fresh Books lifestyle, which was like seventy percent um, of of the week you worked, sort of. Uh, I'm I'm still working that same percentage of time. Technically, I'm supposed to take up. I'm actually required to take a month off every year. That's the minimum. But I, I don't. Uh, you're right. <laughs> but the, the other thing is, and I didn't have FreshBooks either. Yeah. Uh, but I'm supposed to. Um, I'm like the thing that's that's hurting me is flying back and forth from Vancouver, which I, it, and I'm only doing it this right now because it's like anyone who works in business right now, this is planning season. And so you're like planning all of your next year, which, by the way, is a total joke because like two months into next year, you're like this plan sucks. Well, I, I, <laughs> let's do it over yeah. again. When uh, I was flying to Japan, I, I watched the Blackberry movie. It's oh, yeah, it's, I love it. it's one of the you know, there's now there's an Uber movie, an Uber series and an Airbnb, whatever. Every startup, they, they turn into a drama. Yeah. But this one's in Canada, so it's a little different, and it made me think of you. It's like, oh, this is the environment Jeremy's in. <laughs> it's a, that's a very funny and so comparison, because it's, it's a very a, melodramatic film. Yeah, but it's like a bunch of introverted nerds who love technology but don't know how to sell. Yeah, And they sell modems to a vendor, and the vendor's like, Ugh, we're not paying you, and instead they're copying them, and... Yeah. And and then the the asshole alpha male starts uh, comes in and destroys the investor. The, yeah. yeah, and and it's like the necessary evil. It, Robert Crumb talked about artists and you need a butcher. Like you're the meat, but you need a butcher. And like, yeah, so, I once got feedback from a CEO that I wasn't ruthless enough or something. Yeah, it's been like held against me, you know, many times in my career. Jeremy, you're not like. You don't have the like bloodlust, but whatever. but the the character in the movie who is the the alpha male, um, yeah. almost CEO in the movie, is it a familiar character to you? you? You've worked with people like that. Oh yeah, for sure. Or is, I mean, is this a movie version? Is this exactly? Kind of, it is the movie version in ter in terms of. But I've worked with people who raise their voice and puff their chest out and like who really kind of enter the room and create um, fear as their method of uh, communication uh, and to get things done. But, but and is, those people is, are, are terrible to work with. Though. What I was curious about is the, the beginning of the movie, not to make this a movie podcast again, but, but basically, even if you haven't seen <laughs> the movie, think of anyone who makes a project and they're passionate about what they're making. They're making laptop bags or shoes or artworks and they sell it to their friends for a little bit. And then the alpha type comes in is like, but these are great. You should make billions. You shouldn't make 20 bucks. And so does that always require a sort of a asshole mentality also to 
sue the competition who might be copying your product and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's interesting. The, like I'm kind of because makers through, makers yeah. tend to be non-aggressive. But yeah, I, I'm I'm generalizing, but you get the point. Yeah. No, I mean one of my weaknesses, and I'm going through it right now, and I'm being like self-reflective. Like, should I be doing this? Is like. I'm so appalled at the quality of work um, that sometimes I'll just shame people into submission. Like this is this is a trash fire. This is a garbage fire. How can we live with ourselves? So how um, do you, how do you convince people that it is that the quality? Is, do you show the competition and say, "Look, this is much well, better." Yeah, it's kind of funny. On one of these trips to Vancouver, um, and I'm not saying I'm good at this. I'm saying I'm like self-reflecting. Like, is this the only way? Is this like? But it was like things had reached a sort of what I believe to be such a terrible state, like before I even arrived, but like, I, I just can't live with it anymore. And it affects numbers. And I was able to show that. But like, uh, what I did was I brought everyone into a room that was, you know, it was like 25 people that were going to work in this area. And I was like, okay, let's, um, let's like pretend we're the customer and we're signing up for this product. And then we, and I was like, okay, what do we do first? And anyway, through a series of like, random but i kind of predicted events we ended up like breaking the application oh, so, while trying so this to is a this is a situation where you're driving a car and you're like who designed this car do they even drive it and exactly. and, and all the ceos are driving bentleys and they don't drive the toyota and, and that yeah. tends to be a problem in software because it's very uh, management and everything gets so abstracted and you're looking at the data and it's i'm in this situation all the time Raphael, where someone's like the data shows that people do this. And I'm like, and then I'm like, you mean this screen? Have you tried and when it? when I do this, <laughs> yeah. have you tried it? And it's like, and then it breaks? Oh, yeah. Like, but what's why funny is stop people fucking are so, looking at the data? People are so opinionated uh, about all the tools they use themselves. So if they're not using yeah. the tool that you're developing, but if something was wrong with their chat app or their Slack, they would be furious. Yeah. yeah. So my job a lot of times is just making people do the obvious sensible thing, which is like, go use the product. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And that's easier said than done because no one wants to, f it's almost like looking in the mirror in software design. Yeah. Right? It's like you have a scale in the bathroom and you're like, ah, oh, not today. Well, also to be fair, there's usually all kinds of history and everyone wants to bring up their history lesson. Well, we were under tight circumstances and, the, and then we were trying to get this experiment out. and there's always a political history. And then you're like, yeah, but is it good? No, it's terrible. But well, what are we going to do? <laughs> and, and, and there's the sunken cost fallacy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's all that stuff. You're like, so. we don't need all this section of all this software. We could delete it and s s oh, replace yeah, it totally. with one thing. And they're like, but it costs us so much. Yeah, and engineers love to redo things. So it's always a hit parade if I come in and says like, oh, we got to redo this thing, right? But um, but at the same time, not everything needs to be completely redone. It can sometimes just be fixed. Um, but yeah, you have to throw away things too. Like, And yeah. I'm always saying, uh, my thing obviously in design it's not my thing. It's like a Dieter Rams thing is, um, you know, less design is good design, but really like taking away is our job, not adding, but everyone wants to add things in, you know, like, Oh, if we just had this feature, yeah. we'd be the killer app or something. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, no one wants new features. In fact, if you look at the feedback, it says I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start, you know? So it's, and I've had that, by but, the way, that insight is true. Of yeah. Like in all the software companies I've worked at, people are always like, there's too much. But see, no one's saying my, I have. Yeah. My point I, was I, more software. seeing the Blackberry movie made me understand if you're in a project that is going well and it's exciting and it's creating jobs for people and economic security and millions of dollars, and then you do a gallery show and 14 people show up to your opening and you sell one work and you've 
haven't made mm-hmm. back your production costs. I could see. Hmm. It's a tough. Well, choice. that's the that's the truth in most uh, companies. For the last decade, they were able to operate at a loss because there was free money, and so a lot of difficult decisions were hidden. You know, in, in that. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying mm-hmm. you personally that you, oh, you made the choice. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna go full on in this new job, and I love it, and I could see why it's exciting. Sometimes it is, yeah. But also, I, I do. I am still working as an artist. Um, the biggest thing to harm my artist career in the last twelve months has been my eyesight, right? Because I can't use a computer as much. But mm. um, so, how how is that for your job, your day job? It's hard, yeah, because yeah. you're expected to be on camera like eight hours a day. Um, and what what's the trajectory with your eyes? It's getting better. I had another surgery. Yeah. <laughs> it's like another surgery. When, when did you have year. another one? <clears throat> just a, like a few weeks ago. Oh wow! It was just, it was very quick. They just like burned a hole in the back of my mm. um, capsule. You're used to it now. It's like an oil change in your car. Yeah, it was funny because I went. I was in a meeting an hour later, and I was like, I was talking to someone. I was like, Yeah, there's this like thing floating around in my eye because they just like shot a laser to burn. And they're like, What? Why are you doing back at this meeting? I was like, uh, No, you know, it's an oil change. It's like, but it, it, <laughs> it is. On. Uh, it's one eye, right? It's not both. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but you can't um, wear a pirate patch because that eye would not heal as as much. Uh, they, yeah, they don't recommend pirate patches. I haven't done so in about a hundred years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like, if you yeah, can't yeah, look yeah. at a computer, you you could with the other. Oh, eye. yeah. Like sometimes, if I'm sitting at the computer alone, not on camera, I'll close that eye just to like keep it, you know, moist. to rest it. Yeah, but yeah, but it. the doctor didn't say like, oh, why don't you cover <clears throat> the fragile eye? half the day or something so to make sure you're really not staring at a computer mm, they don't recommend that they just recommend taking more eye drops but generally because you you do have to use the eye and yeah, yeah yeah and stuff so yeah yeah um but anyway you were in japan weren't you yeah i was yeah uh, i i went for um there was the art fair in kyoto oh uh, kyoto's two hours by train one of the things that's so cool in japan is you, you look at google maps and you're like five hours by car or two hours by train yeah and they really figured out that high speed rail thing. yeah but it's a very tiny island when you think about it that way yeah right? but it's the opposite in the u.s it's like hour and yeah. a half by car or 17 hours by public transportation <laughs> <laughs> yeah even in to get across la yeah <laughs> so that was great in kyoto we did a, a project at the art fair and then we did a byob which was really fun oh sweet where was that also in Kyoto in a in a hotel, a sort of art hotel. And mm. it was maybe 20 participants, young people, and really fun. And it's always, I hadn't been to a BYOB for a while. And it's always this very uh, spontaneous, nice social event and meeting people, seeing what they do. And even though there's language issues, you still get to know each other a bit. And uh, I am curious, like, what were people, like, versus when you started BYOB, what are people projecting? Like, has anything changed, or is it still, like, rotating GIFs and stuff like that, like 3D um, objects? That's a good question. Uh, I think in this case, uh, for example, someone made a beat maker that was comprised of a grid of cooking videos. So mm-hmm. he had all these YouTube loops of let's say someone breaking an egg or uh, whisking oh, yeah. uh, and, and and that would create a song and someone else had a a tiny projector on his mounted on his head and it was projecting an 
animation of an ant, but it was interactive. So if he would move his head, the ant would go the other way, and he was oh. crawling on the floor, projecting this little ant. And that's incredible. I mean, that seems more interactive and performative. Yeah, than yeah. The past, yeah. and it's just I, I, <clears throat> I wouldn't know if I could uh, categorize old BYB or new BYB, but there's always something surprising. So I, I've always thought of it as a thrift store and you go in thrift stores and mm -hmm. it's always like you have to go around and then find a little treasure yeah that's yeah. awesome and then um, uh was in tokyo as well and we're producing these extra large lenticulars uh that are three yeah i saw images of tall. those that seems like next level scale like uh, yeah blue chip blue well chip it, it, it's scale. funny there's the general stereotype that when artists run of idea run out of ideas they just make their old ideas bigger yeah, that's what I'm planning to do. Yeah, but but then sometimes <laughs> the bigger version really is a better version of the idea. Hmm, interesting. Like, so you, what, did you like these better? I saw them. It seemed like it, it occupies your whole field of view. Yeah. I, mean, I saw them through a tiny Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. yeah, yeah. But it's true. And, and so we're making three of them that will be shown next to each other in a museum in Hakone in Japan. Also two hours outside of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll be able to go to the opening because it's in December, but... Mm. Um, the jet lag is pretty brutal i think it's like three days of being confused and then when you come back as well so um yeah i have an exhibition where i was just in a group show in china and a friend was like why don't you go and i was like mm, that's <laughs> i was like that's gonna be hard yeah um and you know not on top of <coughs> visas just the time yeah yeah shift and everything and know? and when you go to vancouver do you feel it's a soft landing or it's still intense? No, no, it's very easy. It's like a 30, 45 minute flight. Um, yeah. How long of a drive would it be? 10 hours. It would be like Toronto to New York. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's no big so, deal. So, and, and um, are you tempted to get an apartment in Vancouver and be there part of the time? If I was a millionaire and I didn't have to work, but then I wouldn't go to Vancouver. So it's like, mm. <laughs> I, I, at some point, if I was able to make the company I work for a lot of, pro like we have an apartment, uh, but I'd have to stay with my boss, like in the apartment, like we'd have to share a bedroom or something like that. Yeah. Uh, doesn't sound great. So I stay with my sister. She lives there. So oh, great. Nice. That's yeah. it. So you get to see her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, and, and no, it, it, it's always this ongoing question about remote life or not, but it's very fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You did ask me uh, over the... Uh, I feel like you sent me a text or something being like, I don't... Oh, yeah. Remote life, you, you think in office is going to be a thing. Well, it's funny because I'm in Vancouver next week, all week during the week for like a full in-office week. Mm -hmm. uh, we're like flying everyone to be there together yeah. in office. So I'll be able to tell you what it's like for a whole week. But normally I'm just there for one or two days, but if, maybe if, three days. Let's say hypothetically, if, if Kristen got a job in Vancouver... Mm -hmm. You sold your house in Calgary. You got an apartment in uh, Vancouver. How much would you be in the office? How much would you still work from home? Oh, because of the way people work now uh, on meetings, like no meeting is in person. It would pro I would probably be in the office a little bit more, but not much more. Okay. Like, because people in Vancouver sometimes don't even come to the office when I'm there. Um, so I think it would probably be like still probably two days a week max. And and so you you could not do this job from Toronto. Yeah, I could. Yeah, yeah. but okay. Kristen works here, so uh, yeah, yeah, I, there's li I'm, like half my team lives in Toronto. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I should yeah. be back in Toronto in a couple. So weeks the the, the time zone is not an issue. 
Um, I mean, you get the morning off kind of, but you have to work late. But there's this whole thing these days where there's core hours and, and flex time and stuff. So most business now happens kind of in the middle of the day, mm. like really intensively. And then people kind of work in focus time on the periphery. So in the morning and in the afternoon. But uh, there tends to be a bias towards wherever the head office is. So if the head office is in Vancouver, it's going to bias towards the Pacific time zone. And if it's in Toronto, it'll be Eastern. Or if it's in New York versus LA, same thing. And and uh, the bosses, whatever you call them, the, the, the C-suite, are they in the office often? Yeah, more often for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't, you know, I don't know what they get out of it, except that they get out of their houses and you know, their kids <laughs> running around and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you generally can have much, like you can, at the highest executive level, a lot of decisions get made um, through casual conversation. Um, it's very much like, um, you know, like a bully pulpit kind of like political space where well, so-and-so is going to do this deal and I could do this for you. And how about this in exchange? Like there's a lot of deal making. And, and, and what happens. about the creative part? Is that not a, like the people who have to come up with the user flow and the, uh, the UX and. Yeah, that's less political, but I, for me to get space for them to do their jobs, I often have to like do some political horseplay. In times um, of hours? In terms, uh, of hours? in terms of like conversations that happen behind the scenes. Like I have to say like, you know, this is a crisis or I have to, sh you know, or I'll do this favor for you if you create space for my people to do this. Mm. Like a lot of people just assume everything's by the book, but it's not. It's mostly political um, and happens. There's a lot of ha happens in the shadows kind of thing. I don't it's not negative. It's just like human sociology. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so you, when did you get back from Japan? Uh, I'd say three days ago. Okay, so you're still kind of recovering. Like you might still be in Tokyo time. Uh, no, I, I I was okay. So you come back, and then the first day, I flew out um, at eleven a.m. and you land at eleven a.m. I'm mm. back here, and I, I try to stay up the whole day, and so I'm really tired. But I go out, I walk around, and do some errands, and then nine p.m. I crash and I sleep, but it's kind of. It's like two days of that, and then you've conquered the jet lag. But then yesterday I made the mistake. I went to bed at eight. I was just so tired. And so then the night was fragmented. So I hope tonight I'm over it. But okay, it's definitely it. like I have the painting studio now, and I ordered the canvases. They're ready to go. And I was like, if I start now, I'm going to make a mistake because I'm just kind of oh, confused. Oh, darn it. it. I mean, that's where I was trying to get to. Uh, yeah. I wanted to get the update on... You and Casey Neistat's uh, joint studio space, but oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how's it going? Um, yeah, I see him every now and then, but uh, we haven't talked. But uh, it's funny. There's always teenagers in front of the building. And I don't know if I told you this, and they're, and they're like, oh. "Is Casey here?" And I always, and I always <laughs> go, "Who's Casey?" And then they go, "You don't know who Casey is? Oh my God, he's the coolest guy ever." <laughs> So I he has think fans. He had relevance with young people still. Yeah, he has home. fans waiting outside the building because they want to do that free around oh, the world trip. Yeah, they yeah. want to get their YouTube kind of like collabs going or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so uh, it's funny, but I always pretend I don't know who Casey is. Yeah. He was like the Mr. Beast before Mr. Beast kind of thing. But um, I I never got into any of these YouTubers like. It, it doesn't arrive in my timeline and then I hear about it and I might find a clip, but then I try to 
watch the clip in incognito mode so it doesn't enter my timeline. Mm-hmm. You're that. You wow. You're really uh Oh yeah. You're really deliberate there. Yeah. Only I don't, I don't care. What only cooking videos and and music. <clears throat> I wanted to let you know I've started um, taking your advice and posting to TikTok once a week. Oh, uh, oh to cool. Start to build my TikTok following. Yeah. And just short little videos because. I was thinking about it and I think it's a really good idea. Um, and I know tick, so TikTok's experimenting with longer form video, like fifth, more than 15 minutes or up to 15 minutes or something. But what I like about it is I, rem- I had run out of places where I could just post like a 10 second experiment. And so, mm. yeah, that um, seems like a good spot. Yeah. So I'm trying that out. Uh, find me on TikTok, Jeremy Bailey. Um, I think well, I'm afraid if, to install the app, but uh, maybe I'll view it on the web. Yeah. yeah, I'm just getting started as soon as they shut it down. That's like <laughs> a little late to the party. Yeah, but uh, I really appreciate the algorithm. <laughs> you like it more than YouTube? Yeah, I think it's a honestly, it's a very simple algorithm to your point. Like when you said, oh, I don't want it to enter my feed, you know. Um, it really does operate in its kind of simple terms. Well, the reason, like, yeah, the reason I said know, it is sometimes. I'm browsing, I'm searching some stuff, and then as soon as you hit a political video, like there's a link somewhere to Zizek uh, talking about something in a funny way. So yeah. you watch that. And then all of a sudden, your whole feed is whatever political videos. And so then I'll just clear the history, watch a few music related things, and then the feed is better. Well, a lot of people are talking about how we're <clears throat> on the verge of like this era of social media about, you know, dying, and there's a new it era. It does feel like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, also because, you know, there are several trajectories. One is like the right to own your own data, but the other one is like AI avatars are kind of entering the space. Right. And so you have Facebook out there saying like, Hey, don't follow real people, follow these AI influencers like Kendall Jenner or Mm. no, who is it? Like one of the Jenners anyway, like sold their likeness to Facebook, you know, for $5 million or something. Oh, and then they don't have to pay anything for that. What yeah, but virtual there? influencers were was an emerging category. Like a, a few people were starting to build brand recognition for virtual influencers. And now Facebook's gone all in on it, which I think. But the funny thing is, Facebook's like, it's celebrities right now, but they're talking about how coming soon, like like later this year, you can create your AI doppelganger as a, so that you don't have to manage your own social media. <laughs> and then you just have bots looking at you other could bots. have a bot doing yeah. your social media for you like jeremy it's so exhausting for you to post every day but like what if a you know your ai posted for you and i, I find that very very funny uh it, uh, it, it is funny how it. i feel like google and and facebook always jump on new trends but in the meantime in the long run it's always that their core business doesn't change so they do some experiments but yeah no, you're right. I mean, and Facebook just announced, you know, like kind of record profits on the back of, you know, advertisers returning to their platforms. And so, oh, because you know, everyone loves Twitter. Well, everyone loves oil. Yeah. And Twitter, of course, collapsing. Um, yeah. I think for Elon, he's enjoying seeing it collapse for some reason. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Why like, do you think so? Because it doesn't matter, right? Like, imagine you had so much money that you could destroy a beloved, you know, asset. It would be yeah. like the equivalent, it's 1900. You walk into New York, you're like, this Central Park thing, how about we burn it down? Wouldn't that be funny? But I, and- <laughs> do you think he's deliberately making it worse or he's making it the way he wants and that's just not working? Um, it's probably the latter. I'm giving him way too much credit. Um, but the, my point is he can he can afford to be careless. 
yeah. imagine he was just starting out. He couldn't afford to be careless. Every decision would be scrutinized. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's like, who cares? I mean, I lose a billion dollars. It's not a big deal. Like, well, it, I'm going to die yeah. in a few years anyway. I yeah. have to say that the what I learned from the NFT hype and, and having a sudden increase in income and then it normalizing again. Mm-hmm. I feel like the one mistake I made is I didn't spend enough on my business because I paid so much in taxes and I think I should have just yeah. spent and and I think we're both the same way we're kind of careful do I need this new thing uh, I can live without it da, da, da. well I'm considering a purchase right now and I'm like is it foolish which is the new yeah. like meta quest three or like the quest three um, because um, I want to do some AR experiments, and finally, like AR pass throughs there. But I'm like, well, the Apple one's coming. Like, should I wait? But uh, then, it, of course, I shouldn't. I should just do we're, it. Right? We're talking about how much money is that? It's like six hundred bucks. It's like, yeah, no, okay. I mean, well, but, but yeah. if you put it yeah. in perspective, someone like Rafik Anadol, who has a studio with twenty people, or no, I know the perspective is Studio Drift. Nothing. So, yeah. Studio Drift now is opening their own museum. Yeah. Do you know their work? Yeah, yeah, but I I agree with you. They're from the Netherlands. And I think they just had this impulse, just like, go, 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 let's borrow money, let's just keep going. Yeah. Of course it pays off. Uh, Yeah. And so... There's there's risk in business, of course, but also you can can like... Is there risk if you're doing what you love? Because I think the thing that a lot of people forget is the whole world and governments are organized for business to do well and people to suffer. So... (laughs) Um, yeah. So the like, the idea yeah. that you reinvest in your own business—that's what the government wants you to do. That's what they want. That's what the, everything's organized to make that possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to write down losses and even to go bankrupt. And bankruptcy is actually a good thing. <laughs> it's mm. like it gives you because it's meant to protect you, so yeah, that you yeah. can restructure your finances. Anyway, like, and so it's very hard to like really fuck up in business. Of course, you can lose your house. Like, don't leverage your personal assets is, is one of the rules. But um, as long as you're not doing that. Well, the guy like, in the BlackBerry movie mortgaged his own house for BlackBerry. So, Yeah, and I also worked for some founders who did that, and they lost their homes. Um, but they bought new homes. <laughs> it was like, yeah. I mean, also, uh, like, just to put it in perspective, they even having a home puts you in a in a rare space in today's world, right? Yeah. Not that many people have homes. Yeah. So... <clears throat> anyway, but like I said, also there's tons of grants. Like, because I run a business now too, a not for profit. Like, you know, the government is falling over itself to like, you know, write checks to help us grow it and stuff like that. Yeah. People want yeah. you to build, right? So, yeah. No, it's encouraging. Um, it's it, easy it, to but, but I, I do think there's always that trade off of, and maybe that's my my point about seeing the BlackBerry movie and seeing you in the business world. It's exciting mm. because. The numbers are easy to grasp intellectually. Mm-hmm. So you're like, wow, we made a million, a billion, whatever. But then mm-hmm. end of the day, if you took out the numbers and you're like, what would you rather have spent your time on this thing or that thing? Yeah. It yeah. becomes a different uh, way of looking at it. it. Let's say that you could say McDonald's is the greatest restaurant of all time because mm-hmm. numer- numerically they are. They've, they they have the most customers, but of course, in objective in 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 terms of uh, taste experience mm-hmm. and restaurant experience, it's not the best restaurant in the world for us. Um, so, no. the same like when you hear, oh, this artist ha- they have a studio with fifty people, they have a hundred people, they have. But yeah, you might not want that. Do you want that life? Yeah. No, I just want to put a TikTok video out every week. <clears throat> but you I, I don't you, know. you like, want the bot to do it? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, no, I made a decision a long time ago. I mean, this is kind of the topic of the podcast on a rolling basis. Sorry, we didn't announce to our listeners we're not answering a question this week. We're just catching up and, yeah. and, and shooting the ship. But like, you can either, I think there are two two pathways, and I'm sure there's many, many more, but there's one in which you make your money from your job and your art practice, uh, you know, is almost like operates like a hobby, <clears throat> even if it's professional level. Like, you know, even if I have a museum show, I still think of my art practice Financially, it is a business, you're not relying but, on it. But I'm not financially relying on it. So it does kind of occupy that, unfortunately, that moonlighter hobby space. Um, but it allows me to have the creative freedom to do whatever the hell I please without worrying about money. Um, and then there's the artist that really needs to earn an income off of the. And I think there's stuff in the middle, obviously, where you might have a trust fund or you've made a lot of money earlier in your practice or whatever it is. But, you know, the stakes are higher for someone who's 100% reliant on their their artwork for, uh, to pay the rent, obviously. Right. So, I mean, I think I noticed, um, you know, artists usually have some kind of other dependent. If it's not a career like me, it'll well, be a lot like of a artists partner teach. Yeah. or they teach. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's just not enough teaching jobs for every artist. But to, do you to think do if you look at my work, does it feel like, Oh, if I had a day job, my pra art practice would be more experimental. Yours? Yeah. No, because you've been making pretty much the same thing since I met you. Like, yeah. Um, you've been remarkably consistent. I think it was like you said, you've just made it bigger and bigger over those that period of time. So I think of you as having like, if if you're honestly asking me, um, if I, you know, I think of you through the business lens of having released a successful product and then figured out ways to optimize it, you know, over the long term to be more and more, yeah, um, yeah. But, profitable. Or, but do you think that you had you not had the day job and had to make uh, oh maybe i could have optimized um no because the optimization i've i did like i mapped my career to some business models recently i was like oh i'm gonna figure this out like look and i looked back at all of my finances for 15 years or whatever and the business model only makes sense as a commissioning model <laughs> uh and that's true historically over my career you mean I because needed... you make it performance-based work Yeah, a performance based or um, the work is is generally unsaleable. Yeah, like, yeah. And every time I've tried to sell it, it gets so complicated that people are like, "This is exhausting. I can't. I'm out." <laughs> you know, like this is not so, fun. Yeah. yeah, this is not, this is not fun. And if I had gone a different way toward maybe single unit sales, which is what you do, right? Like a, an art, like a like a thing you can put on the wall. Um, the thing is, every time I tried that, it was not successful. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. could have continued to iterate maybe and got there. I just don't know. But people yeah. didn't seem like it didn't connect. So all my traction was commissions and still is, actually. And so um, you would have to... But then the, there are studios like Rafael Lozano Hammer, which seems unsellable work, complicated installations, but somehow they run a studio. I think that's the route I would have taken if yeah. I had focused more time because my commissions reached as high as $40,000 for a single commission. And so that starts to get you into the territory of, oh, well, I should probably hire. Public and I did art. start to hire people, right? In public art, yeah. And friends of mine have done that. It's just, it. You, it's a lot of work for like, a, the, like the costs are very high. So yeah. you say $40,000 and you're like, well, how much did it cost to make the work? Like $39,000. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, so, no, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and But then business is also very exciting. 
and I enjoy, yeah. And in business, you know, I can earn $300,000 to be transparent. Like that's an, that's a normal paycheck, but I have friends who earn half a million dollars doing, you know, similar jobs to what I do. Um, and then you have like, you know, I could, I can buy that meta quest. That's why I was saying it's ridiculous. Like I should really just like buy that thing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then if we look at art over the last uh, 50 years and the, the sizes of operations becoming mm -hmm. larger, yeah, artists, even artists that seem sort of out there and spaced out, like a Paul McCarthy, there's yeah. a big team behind it. Maybe not in the beginning, but now there is. And no, and you need a team to scale. There's no way. Like, how would you do but you you know, don't, five But you don't have to scale. No, I know, there's I know. No but if, if you're Paul McCartney or something, or if you're Lorenzo Hammer... Yeah. Like that, you can't do Paris, Madrid, Mexico City all in one quarter yeah. without a team. But what's the trade-off once the team enters? Does it, the work get? Man you're a manager. Yeah. There's a great book I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. It's called the Entrepreneur Myth or E Myth. It's very common to cite it among business owners, entrepreneurs like startups. But you know the the whole story. It's it's written in an allegory way, so it's fun read. It's only like a hundred pages. Anyone could read it in like an afternoon. But it, it you kind of tells the tale of someone who loves baking and they launch a baking business and it's like a crisis from day one right because they're not spending any of the time like on baking you know the part of baking that they loved anyway which was the craft and and all this time on like accounting tasks and like marketing operations and marketing and all these things i'm not good at and i see this in our business in the business i run today where creators get involved and they're like i'm not good at this i don't want to build a website like i just wanted to like teach or whatever um, or I just wanted to bake muffins and now I'm like, you know, having to learn all these new things. And yeah, and generally a lot of businesses fail because someone will hire out actually the core business functions. So they'll say like, well, I'll hire a bookkeeper, then I'll hire a CFO to manage that. And then they, they never get good at business. And those people are not as, you know, they, they don't understand product market fit or, you know, the product does matter. Um, but those businesses end up failing because the owners don't understand so, the numbers. Yeah. So, and know. if you look at the creator economy, so yep. our, our friend Yancy has a, a company called Meta Label mm -hmm. that is a, it started off kind of as a blockchain platform, but now it's more, it's going to be just credit card payments. But it's somewhere between independent publishing and Discogs, the, the music catalog, and something like a cataloging tool but also using the blockchain, something like that. Hmm. But he, he did an intro talk. That was an interesting point where the traditional way to preserve culture is museums. And let's say that's the 20th century model. You take the most precious things, preferably physical, and yeah. you store them. We reward the artists so they can have a life making art, but only a few. Then the creator economy comes up and might have been a bit generous in the beginning, but then start squeezing the, the creators. They get less and less money. And so it's all about increasing production. The the artists are not very focused. They they, they can't really put time into a work. It's just it's more about volume. Yep. And so he wants to but he says the old model of the museum doesn't work because most creators now are and, and you are a good example. They don't work in a format that is easily archivable for museums. Museums are not set up for that. No, yeah, that was my example. Yeah. Even though it might, I get commissions, there are commissions for one-time events, not, and yeah. no museum will collect them. And so it like, seems I'm, like yeah. we have this, this gap between creator economy and 
museum heavy object sort of thing and and mm -hmm. there's a gap in between there yeah i think i think that's fair uh um and the creator economy stuff is interesting i don't know if you saw the patreon 2.0 launch recently um it was also funny to see a software company come out and say it's 2.0 <laughs> it's mm. like 10 years after they launch um but patreon our listeners would remember was like you know founded by a musician <clears throat> the, the lead singer from pomplamoose i think and um he was like frustrated that he was only he was putting all this money into creating youtube videos like music a music video he spent like 10 grand making a music video and he's like he realized he was maybe going to earn a hundred dollars in youtube revenue off of million views <laughs> and so yeah. he's like there's got to be a better way you know it's classic thing there must be a better way and so he you know launched a membership platform which is just a subscription revenue platform for artists but pretty so, successful yeah yeah but pretty successful and honestly today you could launch that business on a you know yourself anyone on listening to this call could do it with like with just a bunch of like tools that are freely available online nothing but this is an example sophisticated but just before just to intersect uh, yeah this is an example of an artist who did have the personality to also run a business yeah yeah actually which is rare. right it, very rare there's only because a few the, the other example the is is the blackberry ceo and if he would run patreon he would it wouldn't succeed because he wouldn't have any empathy with the creators. Yeah. I mean, I think I meet artists all the time that would be great at business. Um, but, uh, and, and it's funny because you meet entrepreneurs and they always compare themselves to artists. That's their first point of comparison. I'm a almost, poet. <laughs> they're almost always, because no one wants to hear them say, I'm an entrepreneur, right? Like, and so they, they'll refer to themselves as artists. And I always find it hilarious. But anyway... But the the thing with Patreon 2.0 that I think interesting is like they're they you know he, he like this guy's you know they've admitted that's not enough like it's not enough just to like like and pay someone five dollars a month through Patreon right like and we have to do more and so they're trying to lean into and I'm interested in your opinion on this community as like the thing that artists represent so you know. If you have followers, they shouldn't just pay you. You should engage them. It starts to sound like every artist should have its own YouTube, basically. Um, and maybe that's where like Yancey's model kind of fits in too, which is like, and what you're talking about earlier, where the artist owns the museum, but the artist owning the platform is like. But wait, what do you mean with community? That that people hang out in a chat room with their customers? Yeah, like basically, it's a Discord server. You know, yeah. every artist but has that, a subscription that, that Discord is, server. Again, like the creator economy favors quick creation and yeah, and it's the opposite of uh, let's say Stanley Kubrick and like you make one movie every five years. Yeah, can you imagine Stanley Kubrick having a Discord? Yeah, what's up, guys? <laughs> Dropping that new scene. Let Drop, me know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like. Um, you know, he's dressing up in an ape costume, like trying on the new wares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's like hitting a obelisk. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you could have that anymore. Like, or maybe that'll be the natural response is that more, fewer auteurs kind of like, it's because there's only, there's only space for five auteurs in our head, you know? Yeah. What about the millions of other people that yeah, are doing uh, uh. interesting things? Well, I did have an interesting conversation with someone. Um, and they were saying there was the crypto hype and for a brief moment, a lot of people made a living from art and, and people who had not sold anything before. So 
these are people who maybe came from different worlds and were good at creative coding and mm -hmm. did a drop, made a million bucks, which if you're a Berlin type of artist, that's like 20 years of, of very comfortable living, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, and the point was that was a technological breakthrough of the blockchain and finance and lockdown and uh, like a storm combined. But they're like, that's not the natural amount of artists that should be make. It shouldn't be that easy. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And you could argue both ways. Like, should it be easier to make a living from art? Or is it always just a small percentage of the population? Well, in any category, you there's only so much room, you know, like, like we've talked about the attention but, economy. But, but the, the, the like, counter argument yeah. is like before the recording industry. Yeah. The only way to make a living from music was through playing live. And then for mm -hmm. about a hundred years, people made a lot of money from recordings. And now it's back to playing live and the recording is just promo. Yeah. Not everyone can be Taylor Swift either. Right. So no. Um, but the one thing, one stat I, or insight I can share with you just from my day job uh, on, because I work with, you know, the creative economy, that's my day job. So it's kind of interesting. I get to see insights all the time, but the largest growing category of search on the internet is for digital products. Oh, that's cool. So, and so you know, yeah, put that I, I in was your, talking yeah. to someone. It was funny. I was in Japan and maybe seven or eight really good friends of mine happened to be in Japan at the same time. So it's funny. And so I hung out with someone who is a fashion designer, not fashion, fashion, but more um, outdoor apparel for camping and outdoor life, but kind of fashionable. And we were talking about how fashion came back in fashion because of the lockdown and how people are really into outfits and sharing those online. But he did think what happens a lot that people buy things, wear it once and sell it online. And there's, the, there's this high volume, quick moving around of, of gear. Mm -hmm. But he said, yeah, in the end, what people really want to do is show off on the Internet. So in the end, the digital clothing makes a lot more sense. That's interesting. Yeah, I have seen a few. There's DressX. There's a bunch of digital clothing startups out there. Yeah. Um, but there is the, the argument once everything is basically free or cost almost nothing, it, it, it stops being special. And I, I think the, the episode where we talked about screens, like I remember when it was really impressive if you had a 50-inch screen in an exhibition. Mm -hmm. And now it feels like an Ikea thing and it, it has to be 85 inches or bigger for it to be impressive. Yeah, I also think if you ask someone about their favorite thing or a favorite product, yeah, that would be a cringe term for them. But like, they'll probably mention something physical. Like for me, it might be my fe my fellow kettle or something like that. Right? It's like, not like the Apple Notes app, and you're like, oh, I love the Notes app. It's so good. I don't even think I would say my like laptop today. Whereas like ten years ago, I might have said like, oh, my laptop. Of course, like it's yeah. the gateway to my entire existence. Um, well, with your eyesight, it's actually the enemy to your existence. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, or I, you know, it might be. What, well, what is your favorite product? Like, if I asked you, what's your favorite thing? My stereo. Oh, you just got that crazy ugly stereo, right? It's so cool. What do you mean? Ugly? Mac the Macintosh one? Yeah. No, I know. It's just Christina said it was ugly. Yeah, and and big clip speakers and. Uh, yeah. And is that in your studio? So, yeah. Like, I, if I walked into your studio, what would I see? Uh. Folding tables, those ugly ones from Home Depot with lots of uh, paint jars on them and then uh, canvases stacked against the wall and, and lots of paint swatches. Like 
I'll take an A4 letter size of paper and, and roll one color on it. And I have a lot of those on the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like Illustrator swatches, like in Adobe, but on the wall. And I'm like, okay, this paint for this thing. It's, mm. But it's very clean, I imagine. No? Kind of. It, But it's still, it's physical. So it will never be as clean as a mm. software office. This sounds like stuff you couldn't do in your New York studio apartment. No, kind of thing. no, no, no. And 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 um, I considered getting a second unit in our building as the studio, but these are created as life spaces, so I couldn't make a mess, and I would be very upset if I dropped paint on the floor. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but so this, no one's gonna get mad if you punch a hole in the wall or you put no, paint exactly. The so you feel free yeah. to to experiment, and then but the stereo is great, uh, but. I did learn stereo sound better when there's lots of plants and furniture in the room. So the room is a bit empty and but it'll it'll start filling up with paintings and hope the acoustics get better. Yeah. Okay. And it, did you hire an assistant as well? I I thought in the beginning. So I started painting and kind of panicked like I don't know how to do this. And I asked some friends who were painters, do you know anyone who would be happy to assist? And there was someone available but she could only do it on the weekends because oh. she had a day job, so that didn't work. And then I just started messing around on my own. I'm like, oh, this is actually not that hard. So, hmm, okay, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see that all come together. I, I thought by now we'd have our first painting discussion. Like, did next, you, have you finished week. the painting next, next week. week? Okay, yeah. all right. Um, yeah, because there's only one way to iterate on your painting to get the first version out, right? Yeah, but the, and it did make me th- like uh, going to Japan. I have this other opportunity to go in December, but I'm like, no, I I want to paint, so I'm not going. So it, it does change. Mm, interesting and then um with this first painting what will happen to it will you just uh, throw it in the trash or you try and sell it well i'm I'm just going to make a lot of them and hang them on the wall and then if it turns out one is not that good then i do a layer of white and start over i see so you're not you have no expectations there's not like a show that's you know promised to show these well both my gallery in amsterdam and in japan they're like oh we should do a show with it they're already very interested okay so So you do have an appetite and a market willing to but you don't know if it's going to be good well in in a sense like when i started making tapestries or uh these cut out metal objects or mirrored Mm. glass pieces the gallery is like oh that's a new body of work let's show it at this fair or something so it's not any different in that sense but they weren't big fans of the cutter, metal, the metal cutouts, or what happened to that? Because you were doing the metal cutouts for a while. Are you still doing those? Not so much, but it it, it was one of those things that I, um, I made them small out of plastic at Canal Plastic. I had some stuff laser cut, and then I shared mm-hmm. that on Instagram, and then my gallery in Amsterdam was like, "Oh, that looks interesting. Why don't we find oh. a place to make it big?" So it, yeah, they're always excited to see the next thing. It's uh, but I think that that's exciting, which is like you can run an experiment. And then scale the experiment. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure lots more than painting will come out of your studio, even though you started as yeah painting, right? You just, it's the, the act of starting. One, one um, of the funny things of the studio is I was like, I don't want a computer there. I don't want internet. So at first there's no computer. Then I bought an old uh, MacBook Air M1, which was only 700 bucks on Amazon. Just like, really? Yeah, yeah. Great deal. Like the base model. But then it's like, I'm not going to get internet. I'll just use my phone as a hotspot. So I'm not online too much. But so what's the computer for? Typing or something? Well, also to, when I make a sketch, oh. I'll make it in Illustrator and, and look yeah. up the sizes. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I realize I would do half the day at home in my comfortable situation with the big screen. 
and then I would go to the studio, but that you're always waiting for paint to dry. So it's better to have a computer there. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So now I, I, I got an internet subscription that's starting this week. And then <laughs> I think I'll have the full computer set up there too. Uh, I, yeah, I like that you're just iterating on it because uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a new thing for you. So, you, you know, you, you well, the music was a must. I was like, I need the big speakers. And then yeah. I installed the big speakers and then I was like, oh, fuck, this sounds like shit. And then I had to move them around, position them. And I'm still not a hundred percent happy, but it, it's one of those things you need lots of textile in the room. And, well, even like yeah. where you put your desk, like this, yeah. th I'm sitting in my studio right now here in Calgary and, um, I had the desk and for some reason, like turned 90 degrees the other way for about three or four months before I realized I could have my desk facing the studio wall. Like there's a, you know, like a 40% yeah. gray shooting wall behind me. And, and then I could set up the SLR, my computer and everything could be ready to shoot. Like I mentioned those oh, TikTok videos, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in a second, but for some reason I had it not set up that way. Like, and it, it, like sometimes just sitting in a space, you'll like, yeah, yeah, it takes some time. Yeah. yeah, it takes some time. And then mm -hmm. sometimes you've been in a space for two years and someone walks in and they have a great idea. And you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Well, I'm going to come visit, uh, I think, over the... Are you going to be around around New Year's time? Because I'm going to yeah. come through town. I thought it would well, be great to we're in Florida. visit the studio. We're going to Florida for Christmas. So I think we're there at 24 to 29. <clears throat> this would be Jan, I think. So oh, okay. Cool. First week of Jan, maybe. Um, and then... Is flying difficult for your eyes? No, no, no I fly every week now, basically. <laughs> like, I'm, like I'm flying to Vancouver next week. So it's not really, uh, uh, yeah, flying's totally I think, great. I think what you should do is do a two-month sabbatical in Hawaii for your eyes to really relax. I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. I'm waiting for the IPO, but <laughs> yeah. once that happens. Have you, uh, maybe this would be an interesting topic but do yeah. you know a lot of people who cashed out of a software company are successful and then they don't know what to do? Yeah, I know tons. I, I shouldn't say that, but I do. And it's it's kind of funny that I know so many and they don't. And I've, I've talked to them and I'll, I'll sit down with them and be like, OK, what's next? What are you going to work on? And then they're like, eh, you know what? <laughs> I think I'm just going to take it easy. And And there's a little bit of like resignation at this point because they were ramped so high for so long yeah there's a lot of purpose that comes with that and a lot of admiration and, yeah. yeah but then they have families and stuff and they're like you know what i did it you know it's fine i can just be happy and wealthy now so but do they succeed at that or is their personality with someone who wants to be fanatical and deep into something that's good like I, I it's a good question like i do hear a little bit of crisis in their voices sometimes a lot of them move into consulting other entrepreneurs so you'll mm. hear them say like well i'm mentoring like five other people now yeah, right and yeah, stuff like yeah. that so it's a kind of a give back story and i think that's probably the right thing to do right like for that purpose you know that that, that sense of purpose um, but i know yeah i know probably like a too many like at least almost a dozen people like that <clears throat> yeah yeah and then I'm, I'm very curious about the people who made a lot of money at things that turned out to be kind of evil like you like making your money from cigarettes and, and dealing right. with the guilt around that so yeah the person who invented the like button or the person who invented the <laughs> algorithm that turned into the insurrection and yeah yeah i don't know that many evil people but i do know a few um i don't think anyone has guilt um i know i don't i don't think i know anyone that that's like in that philip morris kind of camp no. yeah i think a lot of hard-working 
people that just put everything, poured everything from the age of 20 to 40 or 50 into building a business. And then it was really hard. And looking back, they're like, I would never have started this if I knew how hard it was going to be. Um, that's usually what I'll, you know, what I've heard. It's funny because it, it, if you can get over the idea of stress, if you're like very matter of fact, like a robot, like this is the situation, what's the best solution? It's not that mm. hard, and it's not like working in a coal mine. In the end, no, that's a good point. In the it's end, you're like in a conference sometimes. room. It's very comfortable. <laughs> you have a nice cup of tea, and y- your shoes are comfortable. You're not even wearing a suit. You don't have to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah, so hard about the, that? There's a lot of time of flight decision making, um, like like thousands of decisions that are, you know, and a lot of them are bad. And making the wrong decision can sometimes come. At a significant cost. So I, I know it's hard. I, I, know, like, I know it is hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. But it, it's funny. Yeah. Like maybe your great, great grandfather is like shaking their head. It's like, what are you talking yeah. about hard? Do you know what <clears> I did? Well, my great, my great, great grandfather was an inventor and um, also, uh, oh, no, no, that was my great grandfather. Mind you, like uh, they, but the funny story about my great grandfather was they like, they were, they were like, they introduced neon lighting to, to England um, mm. and we're like, and then when they were, they had a demo, like on the opening night, they're like, come to this unveiling of neon light. Like it was like a Microsoft keynote and they were on top of a building and like, they're going to turn on the neon and their assistant fell off the building or something Oops. <laughs> and died. <laughs> and so apparently it was a financial disaster after that. Like, uh, you know, yeah, people yeah. were like, Ooh, you know, I don't know about that neon. Like <laughs> yeah. that was a horrible show. A little too early. It was like the worst demo ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I, but uh, your, your point is that my great, great grandfather, whomever that might've been, um, was, more, like not as comfortable like had to work harder exactly yeah yeah had to shine shoes yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. before they you know work their way up my, my mm-hmm. dad talked about growing up on the farm with 16 children and yeah at age five like uh, picking beets out of the cold wet uh, winter soil in the netherlands and you're five years old you don't know any better but like you think it's normal but mm-hmm. he's not romantic about that life like oh that was so nice to live on a farm and, and grow your own food <laughs> no yeah yeah my well my great my my grandparents from the ukraine definitely would have spoken the same way they're yeah like, exactly I watched, I watched the child die at my feet yeah you know, they would tell me those stories and i was like yeah oh, okay. uh, like <laughs> just pushing the plow between behind the horse in in yeah. the cold yeah 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 for sure um yeah no i mean i think in a lot of ways, um, a lot of their sacrifices are, you know, have, have are what the ones that I, uh, I get to enjoy the benefits of. So I'm we get the grateful. cozy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, certainly I can't complain. As you know, I'm always like a 10 out of 10 in terms of happiness. And even when, you know, with a health setback, you have to appreciate, um, how, you know, much love and support surrounds you. So yeah, it's good to be back on the podcast. I hope we don't wait. Um, this long to have the next recording we will get a little bit more focus yeah. for our listeners i mean like, it, uh, I, I might have mentioned this before but my yeah. dream is that this podcast is just phone conversations and we're both sitting on the couch instead of behind the desk with a mic and all this stuff but we did some tests recording calls from our phone on the phone mic and it just doesn't i think it's hard to listen to as a listener to really listen to a someone else talking yeah. on the phone for an hour i think that's a lot to ask. So I mean, at this point, I have an incredible setup here with like 
studio with like a I boom, know, but there's something you know, great. Like sometimes we talk outside of the podcast, yeah. and there's something about that spontaneity. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I I don't know if any of our listeners know of a a tool that is meant for because yeah because when you think of tiktok you don't think of making high quality stuff or maybe at this point it is a lot of high quality stuff it's funny you mention that because like i'm often very critical of the creators on the platform i you know think of it that i work for and i'm like couldn't they put a little bit more into their video production but there is a lower standard that's kind of acceptable now like and is that um, the same for podcasts but i don't know like because it's already just audio i don't think it is personally I, i i like I don't like podcasts that sound terrible. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's there's I mean. like a there's a the middle ground. I think it's okay, but um, yeah. Um, anyway, thank you. We this was just a catching up. So you've, I think we're mostly caught up. Did we miss anything in terms of catching up on this episode? Um, we've been making a lot of fresh pasta. Oh, yeah, that's been fun. Do you have a mixer like a KitchenAid with the pasta attachment? We did. And we stopped using it because you're not allowed to clean it with water. And then there was a oh, bunch no. of dough on it and we put it, we wrapped it in a plastic bag so it wouldn't dry out. And then we forgot and the thing was completely rusted. Oh, and God. so what we do now is we just roll it with a dough pin, a roller, whatever you call that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I recommend this YouTube channel, Pasta Grannies. It's fun. It's this Italian grannies, 90, 100 years old that make pasta. Okay, cool. Yeah. Pasta grannies. Um, I have made pasta two or three times this year, which is weird. Uh, and Kristen goes crazy bananas every time I do it. She She's loves like, it. Yeah, because it's like so much better than your store-bought pasta. It is. And, and we do like 80% zero-zero flour and 20% semolina and so it has a nice bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing is the texture is like out of this world better than anything you can get out of the store. Well, so. in Little Italy, there's a, a little pasta shop that's been there forever and you can buy fresh pasta there. So we bought that and we made our own and they compared it on the same day. Mm-hmm. And we liked ours better. Like the one they have might have been in the fridge for three days. So it's yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's slightly different. Um, great. Well, listeners, we do have a couple of questions in the backlog, which we'll get to likely in the next few weeks but uh also looking for new questions that inspire a conversation and and how long are you staying in new york on this trip i don't know yet i just i I floated that idea because Kristen was like we should we're going to be in dc over the holidays and oh um, cool well uh, well, you should come over and we'll make pasta yeah that'd be nice pasta pasta all right. Um, but thanks for listening. Good to catch up, Raf. Yep. Um, sorry for the delay, folks. We'll get back to it. And maybe. Um, well, yeah, that's true. There's no promises. <laughs> yeah. No promise. Yeah. But we really do. I do we're not getting paid for people, this. I appreciate how many people reached out and uh, and we're like, is everything okay? Like, I got a bunch of people being like, yeah. they thought I had another medical emergency. So, yes, everything is fine. Um, we're good. And yeah, we're back. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye.